Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Piki mai kake mai and welcome. From RNZ National, here's Our Changing World. Another winner this week is Rebecca Priestley, who's been awarded the Prime Minister's Science Communication Prize. Rebecca lectures about science in society at Victoria University of Wellington, and she says that while science communication can mean many things, she believes its importance can be summed up very succinctly. Well, it's a really broad phrase that encompasses lots of different sorts of activities, and There's also lots of different motivations and goals for it, and that's one of the things that we try and get our students here to to think about. Science communication might be about attracting young people into studying STEM subjects at uh, school and university and then going on to careers in STEM, or it might be about celebrating the fabulous things that we do, some research achievements. For a public scientist, it might be about justifying continued public funding of their work. But the kind of um, the aspect of science communication that I'm interested in, well, it's enabling democracy. It's making sure that we've got an informed public, that people have access to the things that they need to know more about. As a member of the public, I might want to know about the things that I'm buying in the supermarket, Mm -hmm. for instance. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I've written about quite a lot. And I'm really driven by things that I want to know more about. So um, something I've written about recently is about microplastics, which can be found in some cosmetic products, for example. So that was something I was interested in investigating. And there has been a campaign about microplastics, and, you know, people might get the message that they're bad or bad for the environment, but what does that mean and why? So, you know, some people are going to want those sorts of facts. They're going to want to dig a little bit deeper and have access to that information. Some people not so much. There's a lot of evidence that giving people more facts isn't going to change their mind on an entrenched position. But some people are curious. They do want more information. So that sort of thing can be valuable to people who are already asking those questions. So what do we know about why people don't change their mind? If you're, for instance, a climate change denier, but there is a strong body of evidence that climate change is both real and it's human-induced, but... There is a body of people who go, thanks, but I still don't believe what you're telling me. It's a really big problem. And one of the things we talk to students about is confirmation bias. And that's this tendency that people have to embrace information that supports their beliefs and they reject information that doesn't. And I think that's something that's going on at a huge level. And, I, you know, I don't have the answers to what we can do about it. This is a big thing for psychologists as well as science communicators, for politicians, there's some really big problems. But I think it's important that we try, at least. seems to me it's even more important at the moment in this world of alternative facts. It's hugely important, and it's really scary. And I think for people in our sort of position, and you as well, is to think about and talk about how we deal with this. You know, people talk about us being in a post-truth world, and it's a bit of a, you know, a little buzz phrase. But what does this mean for us going forward? You know, are we just preaching to the converted as well. What is the purpose of what we're doing and what are we really trying to achieve? And, you know, do we have any impact? Can we affect any change? 
Tell me a little bit about the massive open online courses that you're involved in. And for a start, explain what they are. A MOOC, a massive open online course. A lot of the teaching that uh, we do here in the Science and Society group is online. So students access their lectures and their readings all through an online platform. Um, But they're just regular university courses. We're also branching out into the MOOC space. So we've partnered with edX, who is a big MOOC provider in the United States. And we're launching Victoria's first MOOC in April, and it's about Antarctica. So Cliff Atkins, a geologist colleague of mine, and I went to Antarctica in 2014 with the help of Antarctica New Zealand. And we filmed a series of lectures down there. We thought, you know, if you're going to do a course about Antarctica why not go to Antarctica and film the lectures down there? And so we think that that's a really exciting product. And it's like taking students on a virtual field trip. We can't take a bunch of students down to the ice, but we can give them kind of the the next best thing by letting them sort of share our experience of it. So that's launching in April, and we're expecting lots of students. That's where the massive comes in. It's open, as in anyone can take the course. It's completely free, and it's online. How much in science do you think it's important for people, and I'm thinking people who aren't practising scientists, to understand facts and figures or just to actually be scientifically curious, curious about the process, curious about what it means for the world they live in? I think the curiosity is the key. And I think what you just said there about the process of science, I think that's the thing that it would be great if people could understand more about because it is a process and for scientists themselves it's a curiosity driven process usually and the facts and figures you know they don't matter too much some people like to collect that sort of thing and that's fine but I think the curiosity is key and just an understanding of of how scientists work and the pathways they go down often they you know, lead to dead ends or mistakes or some wonderful serendipitous moments. And having more of an understanding of that, I think, will give you a better understanding of science, the results that come out of it. There are issues that involve science for us at a domestic level, as you say, which might be, what what, what am I going to buy in the supermarket? What does that mean for, say, the environment? There are bigger issues. Mm. Climate change, water quality is really topical. Mm-hmm. Well, water quality is something that I've been thinking about lately because of the recent government statement on water quality for our rivers. And some people are going to want a lot more information about that. They're going to want to sort of understand what that statement means and want more facts and information. I certainly do. But another thing that's really important in this sort of issue and conversation is trust. And some people are going to listen to Nick Smith talking about it and they're going to say, OK, he said um, we're going to increase them from weightable to swimmable. I trust him. I trust that that's all going to be all right and I'm not going to worry about it anymore. And other people are going to listen to, for example, Mike Joy. And they're going to say, that's the guy I trust, and I'm going to listen to him. And if he's concerned about it, then I'm concerned about it too, and I want action on this. One of the things you have to factor in is that economists say we're not rational beings, we're emotional <laughs> beings. Well, that's true. And that's I think as, as science communicators, one of the things that we try to do is connect with our readers or audience on an emotional level. And I think that's really important. And if I was writing a piece about water quality, for example, I might talk about the farm where we used to go camping when I was a kid, camping by the river, and we'd swim in the river, and we'd actually drink water from the river. Now, 
I'd be kind of curious about that river right now. My gut instinct would be that I would not want to go there and have my kids swim the river because there's dairy farming around there now. You know, I could investigate a bit closer and get the facts on that. But that would be my emotional response to it. And by speaking to readers about, you know, places that they used to swim in when they were kids, what's happening there now? So good communication, good science communication then is about making it relevant to people? Mm Mm-hmm. And responding to what they want to know. And one of the sort of moves in science communication, because we we look at the theory of it as well, is to move from the sort of one-way communication where the the scientist or science communicator expert is just presenting a whole lot of facts to the audience to listen to the people first and find out what they want to know and have more of a conversation, a dialogue. Um, And I didn't know all of this sort of stuff a few years ago. It's something that I've sort of come into as I've come into a university and moved from being a science communication practitioner to an academic who um, I I research history of science but also work with my colleague Rian Salmon on science communication projects. And this has all been new to me. And one of the things that, that we talk about is this real separation between the academics who are studying science communication in a scholarly way and the practitioners who are practicing science communication and there's not nearly enough dialogue between the two groups and I think we could learn so much from each other and so that's one of the things that I'm hoping to be able to facilitate with this prize. So what are you going to do with your prize? Well there's there's three things and I'm still working on the details of it. One of the things I want to do is put together well, really a web resource that brings together a lot of information about science communication in New Zealand. For example, where can you go to study science communication or have any sort of training, just to bring that all together in one place. But as part of that, uh, I want to develop a, a MOOC on science communication for New Zealanders. It might be more of an OOC. I don't expect it to be massive. But just a little science communication course um, that people in New Zealand who are interested can take and something that's got a local context for it. And one of the questions that I often get asked, and perhaps you do too, is how did you get into science communication? And the thing is, I think we all have completely different stories, and so hopefully that's something we can share. But also some more of the practical tips, but as well as some things to think about, some uh, useful readings, and maybe stimulate more of a conversation and that dialogue between the scholars and the practitioners in that space. Another thing that I'm planning to do is... uh, Uh, launching a science journalism fund that um, journalists can apply to if they have something that they want to pursue a story um, that they're not otherwise able to do whether they're a freelancer or um, working for an organisation where they don't have you know enough funding whether it's for travel or to investigate a really um, a really gritty story that's going to take a bit of time Um, also planning to bring out a um, science communication expert to New Zealand to do a series of workshops or lectures. I'm not going to say anything about who that might be just yet, but that'll be a bit down the line. And again, that's hopefully aimed at bringing together the scholars and the practitioners in you know, a useful and exciting way. Congratulations to Victoria University's Rebecca Priestley for winning the Prime Minister's Science Communication Prize. Thanks for listening to this Our Changing World podcast. Check out our webpage for photos and web features rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld Kia ora mai Botox Cosmetic out of botulinum toxin A FDA approved for over 20 years so talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you For full prescribing information including boxed warning visit BotoxCosmetic.com 
or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. 